But what we do count is how many people get saved. And last week at the altar invitation, by the raising of hands, there was over 30 people that gave their hearts to Christ last week. Now, that brings me to this shirt. Uh, we have all-in moments here at City Gate, And when you get saved, we really encourage you to be baptized. And outside in our courtyard, uh, you say, well, Pastor, I wasn't one of those that got saved, but I, I feel like I need to be baptized. We want you to be baptized. So what we want you to do is if you're one of those people that had their hand up in the air last week, giving your heart to Christ, we want you to stop by the table in the courtyard and tell uh, the person there working that table your shirt size. You're going to get one of these shirts in a box. And in that side of that box is some information about baptism. And there's also some invitations for you to give to your family to be, make sure that they're here next week when you get baptized. Because we're wanting to fill that pool full of water and we're wanting to baptize a bunch of people next week, signifying the new life that you have found in Christ. Can somebody say amen? amen. Now I get the opportunity for just a few moments and um, we're going to bring that group back. Um, to sing that song again. Um, a matter of fact, I think they probably could just sing and me not preach at all and us be a-okay. Um, but they've asked me just to say a few words to give them a breath um, so they could get uh, regrouped. Um, our Aretha Franklin that was up here leading us in all of those chains falling. Um, you know... CityGate has gone through so many transformations over 16 years. We, we really, uh, really want to be identified as a, not only uh, a, a church of diversity where we worship um, through different cultures or age demographics. I think that if you were here today and you were between 11 and 111, no matter what background you come from, you got something today. Amen. And... You know, so our Aretha Franklin, unfortunately, has re received a job opportunity in Texas. So her and Michael, this is their last Sunday. We're going to let them let her sing that one more time. But we are going to pray at the end of the service for them. And if any of you want to offer her a job that pays more than the one in Texas, feel free to do that um, so they could be back next Sunday. Uh, but doors, doors in the Bible are representations of opportunities. Some of those opportunities are opportunities to really be blessed. Some of those opportunities are opportunities for the enemy to wreak havoc in our lives. The Bible mentions doors both being opened and closed. And sometimes a door being open is a good thing. Sometimes a door like a door of opportunity for a new job that brings you to a new location with a great salary. That's a great open door. But I learned a lesson a, a, a couple of years ago. Um, me and Michelle just last year, uh, after 16 years of living in Southwest Florida and after 14 years of living in one house, we entered into a business uh, um, uh, kind of arrangement with a couple of people and we were going to take a house and we were going to redo it, refurbish it, and we were going to flip it. And that was the, the intent was to make a little money. Uh, the problem is we got Michelle to be our designer. And so as it started to transform, she started to get the word of the Lord that says, David needs to buy me this house. So we had to sell our old house, have the partners agree and all of those things. But in our old house, we had the privilege one time at a Christmas um, party. Michelle was talking about redoing the house and she said, I want a new front door. 
And we happened to be at a person's house that actually sells windows and doors. And she said, I'm going to come into the showroom and I'm going to look at what you have as a front door. And they immediately got up and went and got some brochures. And before the Christmas party was over, Michelle had a new front door. She said, how much do I owe you? And he said, nothing. I don't want your money. And I shouted all over the yard. (laughs) And (laughs) the problem with this door is she picked out a door that looked like wood. But it was an impact resistant door that was made of a composite that wouldn't allow flying shrapnel or debris to penetrate the door. And so she wanted it stained to make sure it looked like wood. And I read up on how to stain a door such as this. And I found out you can't use traditional stain because it'll just peel off. So I had to use this thing called gel coat. And what I didn't factor in about gel coating is it takes a long time to dry on wood. And wood is porous and it soaks up the stuff. But when you put it on something that don't have any pores, it takes a real long time, about 18 hours for your door to, um, to dry. And for 18 hours, my door, front door, had to stay open, which caused me to have flashbacks of my childhood. Because I want some of you people of my age and younger, my parents are here in second service today. I want to make sure that if you went through what I have gone through, that you join and bear witness with me by saying amen. But immediately I finally got it in my 40s. I finally realized what my mom and dad were talking about when they said, hey, close that door. You think I work for the power company? Can anybody say amen? Bear witness. Yeah, because I realized having an open door Let some valuable stuff out like air condition. And then it wasn't that bad at like the first hour. And I went and touched it after the first hour, you know, kind of over here on the corner. And it didn't, it it wasn't even nowhere near dry. 17 hours later, I was still wondering, I have air conditioned all of Northwest Cape. (laughs) I don't know how much this is going to cost. I got a free door and it's going to cost me $800. (laughs) But what I also realized is not only was the open door allowing valuable things to escape, but it was allowing aggravating things to come in. Do you know that flies and ants are very similar? Is that at least at my house, uh, with the new house that we have, we are owners of palm trees. I've never owned palm trees before. And those palm trees, they have these little orange balls like berries. Flies love them. And I'll open my front door sometime. My whole front yard is covered with flies eating those things that are rotten. And like I mentioned about ants, have you ever noticed you never get bit by one ant? They let the whole colony get on your legs and then they blow some kind of a trumpet that tells them all it's now time to eat and they all bite you at the same time. Well, flies are the same way because your door can be cracked about this much and somehow or another one fly finds their way in and they stand at the edge of the door and they scream to all of their fly family and friends, I have found a way into the air condition, come follow me. And we found out that most of the time in our house, we have like 10 flies at a time, aggravating things that were let in because of an open door. 
I'm going to pray real quick and then I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. Father, I ask you today to touch the hearts in a way that allows me to speak um, with uh, concern for time and allows me yet to be mindful of honoring what you've placed in my heart. And I give you the praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody says amen. Amen. And John 10 and 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I've came, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. The same writer, the apostle John, writes in 1 John, Do not love the world or the things of the world are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the prides of, pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of of God abides forever. God bless the reading of your word. See these open doors like I shared with you about that funny experience that we had trying to stain a door and leaving it open for 17 hours. I want you to understand that the enemy, the Bible says, responds much like a thief. And that thief literally has an opportunity and gives his, his intent very clearly. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy your life. Now, the hope of that scripture is that God has come, Jesus has come to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. But since these doors being open give opportunity, so if the devil's a thief, I decided I was going to look up what thieves do. How do they break into your house? The burglars. And I realized something. I'm going to not tell on them in second service. I told on them in first. But some people leave their door open. Unlocked. Their front door. 30% of all burglaries and all thieves literally walk through an open, unlocked front door. And they don't even do it at night. They do it between 10 and 4 while you're at work. In broad daylight. They just go up to your door and rattle the doorknob to see if it's open. And if it's unlocked, they just go in. They don't even have to bring their thievery tools. You know, those, the, those, all those private eyes that are on TV that have this little kit that, break, that opens the lock. They don't have to do that. You didn't lock it. They just, they just turn the handle and walk in. They call all their thief friends and say, hey, it's unlocked. Come on over. It's amazing to me how many people leave their lives vulnerable by open doors. That the thief doesn't even have to do hardly anything. Well, the Bible in 1 John talks about three different doors that are connected to the world's desires. And that these doors, when left open, lets valuable things out and lets aggravating things and plaguing things in. And the first door in that scripture, I'm going to read it again. It says, but do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world is the desires of the flesh. And immediately we get into church mode. That's the lust of the flesh. We shouldn't do the lust of the flesh. And we think sexuality. And sexuality a lot of the times is connected with the lust of the flesh. But there's more than sexuality concerning the lust of the flesh. See, the lust of the flesh is more accurately described as your passions or your feelings. And when this door of passion and feelings is left open, you say, it's a very dangerous thing. Just imagine, if you open this door of your life to the passions and feelings that are undisciplined by the authority of God's word, then you're going to make every one of your decisions on how you feel. You can't trust how you feel. Let's test it. 
How many, time, how many of you have ever felt, let's start spiritual, that God is a million miles away? Say amen. amen. Yeah, but the Bible says he's never leaving you. But yet he feels like he's way over there. But yet we have to not live by our feelings, but live by our faith that believes that the word of God is true and God is literally right next to us when he feels a million miles away. Let's get a little less spiritual. How many of you have ever felt like somebody deserved to get punched right in the mouth? Amen. Amen. Yeah, or choked. How many of you have ever thought that the person, one of the people that you love could use a good choking? Amen. I raised two boys. I felt that in both. And you know what? The feeling was reciprocal. There were times that they felt, I wish I could just choke my dad out. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah. You can't trust your feelings. Let's go further. How many of you have ever felt like quitting your job? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a pretty good job. You're just having a bad day. And if you respond totally by the leading of the passions of your feelings, you will have quit a good job. And now you are feeling something else. It's called desperation and poverty. Because now you need a check. But you, you showed them you quit. I've never figured that out. To do it right, get another job, then quit. And that really shows them because you don't lose a check. But can you imagine this door just being open to everything in your life, just being controlled by how you feel? I talked to a young man this week and he was really going through some stuff. And, and you know, I, I love this young man. And, and I was telling him, I said, your age doesn't make you mature. You getting older doesn't mature you because I know 50 year old men that act like they're 12. Ladies say Amen. Come on, fellas. How many ladies do you know that are 50 years old act like they're 11? Say amen. Amen. Yeah. We'll get a little bit for everybody today. And <laughs> I, I said, what makes you mature is how you make decisions. I said, it isn't based upon your age. Sometimes your age can give you the benefit of more life experience that teaches you. You can't trust your feelings, but to be a mature man, you got to do away with making every decision based upon how you feel and base it upon what is obedient to God's word. Because I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I'll do it when we're closing the door, I guess. Remind me about the lust of the flesh. But then you get to the second door. It's the lust or the desires of the eyes. In simple terms, that's possessions. Now, let me be very clear. God doesn't not want you to have stuff. He doesn't want you to find identity in the stuff that you want. See, when this door gets opened, it's a, it, it really does let some things out and in. Because when you think that you have an identity by what you have or what you possess or the desires of your eyes then you find out that you are in trouble because if you ever lose the things that you have built your identity on, you've lost your identity. And so I am never successful, but based upon how, uh, what car I drive. Because what, you don't, don't ever judge somebody at the stoplight. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car, but don't ever think that just because they got the nice car, they got the nice life. Because they may have an $800 a month car payment. 
and, and they may not be able to do the things that they want to do because they want to make it appear like they are more than what they are. And so I am never going to be a successful man based upon the car I drive or I really don't drive a car. I drive a truck. And, you know, now if any of you feel led to buy me a new truck, God bless you. But I'm OK with the one I got. <laughs> then there's that third door. It's not just the lust of the flesh or the desires of the flesh or the desires of the eyes, but it's the pride of life. It's the door about pride and position. See, some people have to open up a door. They got to have a title. You don't even have to pay them very much. It's incredible. All you got to do is call them something. Because they feel like I'm somebody because of what they're calling me by my title. You will find out that if you are new to our church, you will probably never hear me most of the time. You will never hear me personally introduce myself as Pastor David Pleasant. You know why? My mom didn't name me Pastor David Pleasant. She named me David Joe Pleasant Jr. And so I am David. What I do is wrapped around the title of pastor. It is not who I am. Because if you want to know my real identity, I'm a godly man that stands before God in a humble position that allows my imperfections to be made perfect through him. And then I try to be a godly husband. And then after a godly husband, I want to be a godly father. And then now I want to be a godly grandparent, papa or hoppy in the lives of your kids and my kids. And then what I do comes way down the list after that. Some people, what they do, they start with what they do, their title. I'm supervisor of this. Okay. I'm just David. <laughs> See, you'll never find, when you walk in my office, you won't find my credentials. Because if I need a piece of paper to tell me who I am, I've lost my identity in Christ. Because the real person that really knows whether I'm a pastor or not is you. Pastoring is being a shepherd. It's caring for his people. And I don't need a piece of paper. Your life tells me that. Or you wouldn't be there. You wouldn't be coming to see me if you didn't have confidence in what I'm doing. And so these doors get open. And the one thing about these doors, the lust of the flesh, the desires of the lust of the eyes or the position or title isn't new to temptation. It's found in almost every temptation of the Bible, including Jesus's. Let's start with the first one. You know, that temptation in the garden. The Bible says that the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave to her husband who was with her. This is the pattern. It looked good for food. I want it. Even though God told me not to take it, I feel like I should have it. See, you can't live by the open door of your feelings. Because God knows best. He's preparing you for your tomorrows. See, I, I, if you're new here, I'm a little weird. I'm going to say that up front. I'm not a normal pastor. And, you know, I just kind of say things that are real instead of trying to hide behind the, the, uh, the thou's and the these of the Bible. So let's just get real here about this open door of the lust of the flesh. You, just because you feel something doesn't, it, you know, before I got saved, I was a red-blooded American. I wanted to have a physical relationship with every beautiful woman on the face of the planet that would allow it. 
then I got saved. And I thought, wow. God says, Dave, you, got, you can't make decisions based upon your relationship, based upon how you feel now, because your feelings and your desires and your passions are outside of the obedience and the boundaries that I set for your life. And I said, okay, I'm going to submit my feelings and my desires to your will. And I'm going to start living in obedience to the boundaries of the Bible. You know what that did? It made me a man ready for marriage. Because you think that I'm righteous because I'm a pastor. And all of a sudden I've walked, I'm closing this door of passions and desires and feelings. Because God said that's first and foremost. But I'm afraid of Michelle. She scares me. You say, Pastor, why does she scare you? Because literally, run this through with me. This is what I think late at night. She could literally take the pillow, put it over my face. She is so soft-spoken, lovable, and gracious that there's not a jury in the world that will convict her. And I stand there fearful. So it's not just my spiritual obedience that wants to close that door. But I want it. I need it. But the second thing she, the, she literally says, it's desirable to the eyes. I want to possess it. God told us. She even adds some to it. God didn't really tell her, but she added to it. Not only do I like to look at it, but I want to hold it. He told us not to touch it, but I want it in my hand. And the next thing you know, it was in her hand. She wanted to possess it. Door number two. And then door number three was the title and the position. If I eat it, I can be like God. I won't need him anymore. I'll be, I can stand in that position of title. You say, Pastor, that makes some sense now. I understand why I'm falling prey to temptation. It happened to Jesus too. First temptation of Jesus after 40 days of, of fasting was, how do you feel? Hungry? Oh, turn the stones into bread and it'll eliminate how you feel. Oh, wait a minute. You want some possessions? The second temptation, it says he took him and showed him the kingdoms of the earth. You want some stuff? I got some stuff. Number three, you want title? I can give you the worship of people. I can make you a God in their eyes. And you don't even have to go to the cross. All you have to do is worship me. And if you worship me, I'll make the kingdoms of the world worship you. I'm so glad that he didn't choose the plan without the cross. Because if he would have chosen that plan, he would have gotten all the accolades of worship that he would have ever desired. But you and I would have died lost and outside of the power of salvation. And we would have went to hell. Can somebody say amen for a God that said no? Amen. Yeah, do you know that even the idolatry of the Old Testament represented by these three doors? You know, the idol of Asherah is a sex or fertility God based upon how you feel. And then the second idol, the, the, the idol of mammon is possessions or money. And the third is Baal, literally interpreted the God of power and position. It's incredible. Well, pastor, I, I, I now see, I find myself falling prey to temptation. Now I'm knowing the, the, how the enemy's doing it. I've got some open doors. How do I close them? Well, we close the first one when the power of the Holy Spirit replaces how you feel and what your passions are. With integrity and character. When you know how to live according to the boundaries set before you in the word of God. And you know how to live concerning the boundaries that are set before you by the people you love the most. 
You know, I can't just do anything I want. You live in America, Pastor. You live in a free country. I can do whatever I want, say whatever I want. No, you can't. No, when you get to needing a little money, go into 7-Eleven and tell them you want all their money. It's called robbery. And they're going to give you their money and the police are going to be waiting on you outside the door. If you use a gun, it's 10 years. If you fire that gun, it's 20. If you hit somebody with that gun, it's life. Oh, I can just say whatever I want to. No, you can't. You can get sued for liable. Well, I have freedom of speech. Yeah, but you can't tell a lie publicly. I have to discipline myself according to the culture of our, our times and the people around me and discipline myself. How many of you now are married? Say amen. amen. How many of you can't live like you're single? Amen. amen. You better say amen. All the guys right there. You heard how deep that got? Amen. Yeah. All the ladies, they just said, amen. Hey, all the guys, amen, amen, amen. Yeah. No, when we start living with character and integrity, it closes the doors of our passions and our feelings. And we start living beyond how we just feel. We start living our lives with a reflection of who he is and our lives have purpose because we include others. The second way that you close the door of door number two is for possessions. You close it with contentment. You ever notice that there's people that aren't ever content with whatever they got? They can have a lot of stuff. They just want more. No, the Bible teaches us if we will do the works of the kingdom first, all the other things will be added to us. It isn't that God doesn't want to use you. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to have some. So I don't think it's not God's plan for me not to have an 18 foot two action craft. And I would love to have an 18 foot shearwater. But I'm not going to be discontent with what I got being miserable until I can try to acquire what I desire. I'm going to find contentment in what I have. Listen to what the Bible says about contentment in 1 Timothy. <clears throat> but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into the temptation and a trap. And into many foolish and harmful desires and plunge people into ruin and destruction. You say, Pastor, God doesn't like rich people. No, he loves rich people. He uses a lot of rich people in the Bible. He just doesn't want you to desire riches more than you desire him. And he doesn't know who he can trust and who he doesn't. See, if your worship is only when he's blessing you, you have to find out he can't trust you with stuff because you will start worshiping the things you have. But if you can worship him when you ain't got nothing and when you get a little something, he can trust you because you didn't worship what you got, but you worship the one that gave it to you. Can somebody say amen? You say, well, pastor, if I find myself content, you know, what does that mean? How does that, how do I know if that door is closed? Most of the time, you'll know if the door of contentment is closed when you, are, when you have the gift of generosity. Yeah. Amy, will you come play me something before we sing again? See, one of the most valuable, valued possessions of my entire adult life was given to me by a mentor of mine, a previous pastor of Covenant Community. His name was Pastor Tom Sturbins, and he gave me his watch. And it was, I, you know, I'm going to make it, I, I said it one way. Somebody told me I mispronounced it. I don't know. I've been on a lot of cruise ships. They say it in a lot of different ways because they're trying to sell them. It's either Tag Hoyer or Tag Heuer. But it was a Tag watch. 
And I got the responsibility one time of mentoring some young men. One was Quentin Foshi. One was Pastor Alex Reale. One was Pastor David Kincaid. And the other was Troy Futch, which is a part of our church family and a father of three and he owns his own business. And they were graduating and I wanted to give them something. And even though it was very valuable to me, I called Pastor Tom and told him what my intentions were. And he said, that's why I gave it to you. I asked my wife if she thought it was wise and she thought it was too. So now every three months, those men send a tag watch in the mail to the other and they wear it for three months. And it reminds them of their time that they spent with me. See, when your generosity isn't connected to what you presently have, but you have the strength to be willing to give it away. I had a couple in the church the other day, or last year, during the three days that it gets cold. Um, they bought me an FGCU uh, sweatshirt. It's nice. They said, my other one was ratty. I like ratty stuff. I kind of like the distressed look. And... <laughs> So they bought me one that looked nice. And last week, a lady come to the door on one of those few days that it was cold and she was homeless. And she said, I need a jacket. And I happened to be wearing that, that um, sweatshirt. And I told her, I said, ma'am, you're not going to go out of this place cold. If I don't find a jacket, I'm going to take this one off and give it to you. Now, I did find a jacket and I got to keep my FGCU sweatshirt. <laughs> But I wasn't unwilling to give it. And when you've closed the door and you find yourself content, not by the things that you have, but who you are in Christ, you can find out it's easier to give stuff away. Well, how do I know when this last place, when this last door is closed? In the titles and the positions and the pride. See, you never want to be prideful. Ever. You know why? Because the Bible addresses pride directly. In the book of James, it literally says, God opposes the proud, but he shows grace to the humble. Now, if you have to choose between being on God's side or the side he opposes, how many of you want to be on God's team? Say amen. Of course. I don't want to be opposed by God. See, when you have the humility... It, and let me clarify humility. It's not thinking less of yourself. That's false humility. This is how I wrote it. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but rather thinking of yourself less. Ooh, that's good. You can tweet that out if you want. Act like I'm smart. Yeah. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but rather thinking of yourself less. He must increase but I must decrease. See, I stood here yesterday in a memorial service for a wonderful woman of God and I said the most powerful testimony is, is by the time you finish telling your testimony, you've become invisible and all they see is God. I'm going to ask for our worship team to come up and get ready for us to free some chains and give Miss Antoinette one more opportunity to lead our congregation in worship. Michael, if you'll come with her so I can pray for you as well. Here, now the message is not the most accurate of all translations, but I really liked how the message concluded this scripture in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. It says, that means you must give 
not give sin a vote in, your, in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourself wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under the old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. See, sometimes we view closed doors in our lives like restrictions. No, it gives me freedom. You say, how, pastor? Tell me one example. I sleep like a baby. Because I've closed my doors. I've locked them. I have the protection of the Holy Spirit. And the brother Smith and Wesson sleeps right next to me every evening. And so I lay down at night. Sleeping like a baby. Not worried that somebody's going to bust my door in. That gives me freedom. See, sometimes in our lives, we think closed doors are restrictions to your freedom. Why don't you close some doors today of how you feel? Don't make every decision based upon how you feel. You can't trust your feelings. If you're starting to put your identity and your worth in the things that you have, Stop because there are things that can take away those things. Man, tomorrow I could be driving and by my fault or the fault of somebody else, I could get into an accident and my truck, my F-150, my red F-150 could be totaled. And some people say, Pastor, that truck looks good. It's a 2008. It's 10 years old and I love that truck like it's brand new. But if it goes tomorrow, it's okay. You know, you say, Pastor, what would happen if, if you got into that said accident? I would first pray that the person that was involved with me was not injured and that I would be preserved and not injured because we can replace stuff because my identity is not built on it. And then I don't care what people call you. Your title really isn't that impressive. Well, Pastor, you don't know. I may be a Harvard or Yale professor. Wonderful. What really matters at the end, the Bible says that you can't bring anything with you. You can't take anything out. You, didn't, you weren't born with anything. You didn't, can't take anything out. What really is going to matter when you get before the judge is not what you did as a job, but whose you are. Do you belong to my son Jesus? That's the real possession that you need. So, we're going to free some chains today. But before we do that, some open doors are opportunities for new things. Can we as a church stand to our feet and let's start to bless our brother and sister as they embark upon something brand new in Texas.